Welcome to Spirits of Whiskey. We explore the wide world of whiskey through the many colorful personalities who make it, promote it, write about it, and more. With each podcast, Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward and bartender, and yours truly, Philip Dobar, director of the Cocktail Collection, interview whiskey's most important names. From high-profile makers, blenders, and ambassadors, to out-of-the-way innovators and remote pioneers. Join us as we discover the people and elements that give the water of life its spirit. It is Whiskey Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. Today, we visit Portland, Oregon, and talk to the women that are behind Freeland Spirits. But first, stay tuned for this week's Whiskey Chronicles. Twenty twenty has been a very strange time for the world as a whole. We've been asked to stay at home, to wash our hands, often to wear a mask in public, and we've been asked to steer clear of large gatherings, including a humble night out at a bar or restaurant. And understandably, people are affected with cabin fever. Our generation has never endured anything like this. And it might be the closest thing to what our grandparents, great-grandparents, and great-great-grandparents witnessed in World Wars I and II. We're lucky we don't need to know what it's like to have the entire country living on rations, or to have industry shut down completely to see others pressed into manufacturing the weapons of war and other items vital to the war effort. For example, in December 1941, when the U.S. officially entered World War II, distilling became an instrument of war. American distilleries, still struggling since the lifting of Prohibition in 1933, were put on a wartime footing. Prohibited from making beverage alcohol, the alcohol they did distill was redirected to the manufacturing of ammunition, synthetic rubber, and other critical products, among them antifreeze, antiseptic, and other medical supplies. The war also brought many other changes to the distilling industry. With their husbands halfway around the world waging war, women were joining the workforce in greater numbers. Originally, women were relegated to the bottling line, but as more and more men left to fight, women started filling positions that under normal circumstances were usually reserved for men. Well, times sure have changed, and while they're still underrepresented in the industry, today we see women and people of color increasingly occupying positions of leadership. Still others have built their own distilleries from the ground up. Today's guests include one such person, a woman who realized her dream by founding Freeland Spirits. Today on Spirits of Whiskey, we're very fortunate to have with us uh, two women who are making waves is perhaps not an apt metaphor, but certainly affecting spirited change in this industry. Jill Keeler is founder of Freeland Spirits in Oregon. Also with us is Molly Troop, who is master distiller and a partner in the enterprise. Welcome, ladies. Happy to be here. Generally, when we start the show, we always talk about people's whiskey journey. Since our TV pilot is about a journey, we've kind of kept the flow going. So, Jill, we met about five years ago when you were in the beginning stages, I think, of your distillery journey, not necessarily your whiskey journey. So why don't you tell us a little bit about when you started liking whiskey and when you came to the idea that you wanted to do a distillery and and how did you go from point A to the brick and mortar that you see now? My career has largely been in food and agriculture. I was running an educational nonprofit, Zanger Farm, uh, for seven years, where about 10,000 kids go to learn where healthy food comes from, which may not sound like the most obvious segue into <laughs> making well, booze. We know, that, but... we know that most kids think peanut butter comes from a peanut butter jar. Um, <laughs> um, this, was yes. all, this is in Oregon, the farm? Yes. Yeah, just, just uh, east side of Portland. 
And while I was there, I got to know my rancher friend, Corey Carmen. She raises grass-fed beef in Eastern Oregon. And whenever Corey comes to town, we drink whiskey together, both having a shared fondness of whiskey. And it was a fateful whiskey night where I was like, I don't feel like you hear about the terroir of our whiskey in quite the same way as you do with wine. And wouldn't it be great if we could really highlight Oregon agriculture mm-hmm. with our, with our spirits in that way. And then, you know, a couple more whiskeys go by and she's like, you know, I've always wanted to incorporate small scale grain production. I'll grow it if you make it. And so that, wow. was, that was, that was the birth of Freeland, which was, you know, very, very shortly, I think before I met you, Carrie, that that night had happened and yeah. thus began, thus began the voyage. So when I met you, we were over at Big Bottom Distillery and actually I'm going to, if you don't mind, I might put some of the footage up on our website um, after this with the the show notes. So when I met you, you were looking into different distilleries and how people were running. How many different places did you check out and go to before you started getting deep within? I I must have visited, I mean, at the very minimum, 30 different distilleries wow. throughout the country. I was just kind of traveling all over, trying to learn as much as I could and, yeah, just gather as much information to fuel the journey. Jill, your bio states that you have Southern roots. Can you talk to us a bit about that? <laughs> yep. Born and raised a uh, suburb of Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Freeland is named after my grandma, Freeland, my mom's mom, and mm-hmm. we called her Mima. Mm-hmm. She was a teetotaler, <laughs> was she not? <laughs> she was a total teetotaler, exactly. <laughs> I kind of like to hope maybe there was a bottle of something hidden under the bed, but I think the woman abstained fully. I would drive her to church. Uh-huh. Yep. So, But she was a big inspiration to me. I grew up in her garden with her, and she really taught me that good things come from scratch and uh-huh. just was a really powerful woman and was the main primary breadwinner of the family. So oh, she was a great, okay. great role model for me. Okay. So you grew up there. What took you to the great Northwest? Uh, after college, I was in the Peace Corps in Guatemala for two years and really got interested in agriculture and wanted to work on a farm when I came back. So I was kind of just looking all over and connected with a farmer up in Port Angeles, Washington, Mm -hmm. out on the Olympic Peninsula, Mm -hmm. and packed up the car and the dog and moved west (laughs) and worked on the farm for a season and then moved to Portland about 16 years ago. Okay, so so call of the wild, more or less. Indeed. Okay, all right, very good. Molly, you're a native of Oregon, correct? Correct, yes. I was born and raised in Troutdale, Oregon. Okay, all right. And where is that in relation to Portland? It's actually... Pretty much the suburb. Um, it's uh, okay. about 30 minutes away. So your whiskey journey, we know that you studied uh, biochemistry, correct? Just chemistry. I had an emphasis in okay. forensics. Mm-hmm. And how did that, how did you go? For, you know, a lot of distillers come out of chemical engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did you go from chemistry with I mean, forensics mm-hmm. uh, of all things? How did you go from there to here? Well, I was in my junior year of college and just really starting to get into the meat of my forensic emphasis, uh, taking a lot of forensic classes. And then I had the realization that I really did not like that aspect of chemistry, but I loved chemistry Mm. in itself. So then I started looking at different applications and how to use my degree and, you know, not change majors because I was very invested already at that point. (laughs) Right. So, you know, I did the whole soul searching as you do in college, you know, a little, little thinking about who I wanted to be, what kind of job I wanted and, you know, maybe a little bit of drinking as well. 
and I one, one right that's just part of part of the experience and drinking in college I don't know what that's no, about never not me um <laughs> and I I think I had but for you it was it was a sort of practicum research exactly that's uh that's mm-hmm. how all I consider all my drinking these days is research mm-hmm. and I I was just as, as it should be right <laughs> as it should be <laughs> I was um you know doing a little soul searching glass of whiskey in my hand and I had a thought that there was a lot of chemistry I didn't know that was in this glass and I wanted to know more about it. Um, and I just started fi- trying to figure out like how to learn more. And I had a friend who uh, was pretty knowledgeable about making beer, was going to go pursue a diploma at uh, UC Davis for brewing. And I looked into the program because it sounded fascinating. And then I found out they had a two year waiting list. So I used my, oh, my trusted Googling and I found a different program that was actually a master's degree in brewing and distilling in Scotland. A storied program. A very storied program. Very great program. And of course, it was a chance to get another degree, which never hurts. A chance to live in Scotland for a year. Many great spirits makers, including whiskey makers, of course, have come out of the the Harry Watt program. Absolutely. Um, I came Mm -hmm. back from that um, really inspired, really wanted to be a distiller from the very beginning. And I was lucky enough to find a job within a month of graduating in this field. Okay, and wh- and where was that? It was at a distillery called Hood River Distillers, which is about an hour outside of Portland. Okay. I was there for a while doing quality control, and quality control is you know fifty percent drinking, and then the rest of it is boring stuff. But it was a very good insight mm-hmm. into the field, and I uh, was at a distillery in Bend, Oregon, when I connected okay. with Jill. And and now you are the youngest female master distiller in the United States. Yes. How does that feel? <laughs> Tell, talk to him. <laughs> um, it's a bit surreal. Um, it's nice to have that recognition and, you know, to to be, you know, at the kind of, at a, at a great point in my career. And I'm really thankful because I continue to, you know, learn and have a team that encourages, you know, the growth mindset, always be working on your skill set. And it's, it's, a, it's really fun to be the master distiller at Freeland. So what do you ladies think is the most challenging thing about getting Freeland Distillery off the ground? And also, is every employee there female? The website suggests that might be the case. Yes. <laughs> um, so if, certainly for me, the hardest part was, uh, well, every piece was really hard in, get, <laughs> in getting it started. You know, whether it was finding real estate, finding equipment, finding financing. the right team, but financing by far was the biggest, the biggest hurdle. It's such a capital intensive kind of venture. And they say you know, that two, they, they say the two quickest routes to bankruptcy uh, is financing a film or opening a distillery. <laughs> Which, you know, are the both things that I would like to do. So. <laughs> <laughs> My mom always likes to say I'm in constant search of finding the thing that'll pay me the least amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> My parents would agree with you. (laughs) But yeah, I think, you know, certainly being a woman in the industry, being a woman, you know, starting a business and looking for funding in general is is just so difficult. When you look at like less than 2% of venture capital money going to women, it's, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's a big, big hurdle to overcome, but we pulled it off. Here we are. What was your main strategy to, to do it? Persistence. (laughs) (laughs) And it was every source. I mean, we started with a crowdfunding campaign. We got bank financing and, you know, know, slowly brought one after another of all the investors that we have on board now. The majority of whom are women as well, which is super exciting. A lot of them never having invested in a company before. So 
I'm really, that, that makes me super proud. That it's just, you know, I think more, more women getting involved in, in the decisions around money or is just, um, you know, really needs to happen. And so it's exciting to, to have that happening here. Mm-hmm. Awesome. When did your first output hit the market? December of 2017, we released the gin. Not even three years ago. No. Two and a half years ago, you started with gin, whereas most distilleries start with vodka and build they either stop there or they build from there i mean there's no shame in that it's just how it's done because you can get market you can get product on the market quickly while while you build out your portfolio why did you start with gin rather than vodka i don't think either of us were particularly that interested in vodka um, <laughs> first and foremost that's the best answer and the correct answer that's the correct answer i'm an evangelist for underappreciated spirits so <laughs> so gin so you didn't start with vodka uh, because neither of you really cares for vodka, but you did start with gin, which, as we all know, is the original flavored vodka. So talk to us about that. So we, you know, we bonded over our love of rye whiskey and we we've had the, you know, the idea that first and foremost, we wanted to start with something else that we both enjoyed. And the answer to that was gin. And when we were talking about the origination of Freeland and what Freeland really meant to us, uh, it was very clear that. Mima Freeland is pretty important detail in our story. And the lessons that she taught Jill in the garden really inspired Freeland Gen. We wanted to create something that was garden fresh. Is the gin rye based? It is not. It is corn. It is not corn based. Okay. We do have a different gin that is rye based, but not the not the original. Okay. Um, All right. We wanted something that was garden fresh and we wanted to make something that was just very different, very contemporary in style. And we did a lot of research. A lot of trying to figure out how to make these flavors meld together. And we ended up coming up with a dual distillation technique, one being heated distillation, which is very traditional, and then a more untraditional distillation using a vacuum still. Vacuum um, still, which I read about on, on the website. I'm like, I want to know more. They're very they're very fun. They're very different looking. They're not, you know, copper. They're well, I'm sure that they could be, but ours is very much more of a laboratory style glass, vacuum pump to it. And you're able to mm-hmm. distill alcohol at a much lower temperature. So instead of distilling mm. alcohol at, you know, boiling temperature is around 78 degrees Celsius, you can boil at room temperature. Oh, wow. So it lets you uh, take these really delicate flavors that come from a garden, like rosemary, mint, cucumber, and thyme, and really capture them basically at their garden fresh, like their highest fresh level. Okay. Yeah, because heat is violent. So you're bruising those uh, botanicals um, yeah. with heat. So in this case, you're able to retain more of the uh, the essence, if you will. Exactly. I always like to use the example of cooked cucumber. No one eats that for a reason. <laughs> no, nobody would eat that. Gross. No. And you can really capture the delicate flavors of cucumber with a vacuum still. Mm-hmm. You also produce a Geneva, an American Geneva, which you call Geneva. Now that's a bit of a you know there's not a there's not a huge there are some wonderful Genevas uh, in the market, but the demand for it is not. It was in the 19th century, but uh, now it's not. It's growing. But so why Geneva? That's uh, one would look at that and say, well, that's a stretch. <laughs> well, here comes our rye whiskey, right? Um, okay. So we have rye whiskey, and we really want to let ours sit for as long as possible. Neither Jill and I are much on drinking white whiskey. Uh, we wanted mm. potentially give people just a glimpse of what our rye whiskey could be, but we didn't want to do it in a white whiskey form. So the perfect marriage mm-hmm. between 
a whiskey and a gin is the Geneva style. Um, uh-huh. And that's what we did. We took our white whiskey base and it has these beautiful spice pistachio ice cream flavor and we married seven botanicals with it. Um, we did this. We had our R&D sample and we actually went to uh, the Netherlands to get it blessed by the Dutch. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Okay, very good. So your Geneva is rye based. Correct. Okay. All right. That's, that is fascinating. Rye whiskey has come up a, a few times. What else can we expect from uh, Freeland in terms of releases? Um, I know you guys have a bourbon out and mm-hmm. that you source source that and then do some finishing. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. We finish okay. in and then, Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir barrel. And it's really good, by the way. How did you decide on picking that particular whiskey to finish off at your place? And then what kind of whiskeys have you guys put down that you're waiting to mature so that we can eventually find 100% your whiskey. So um, with the bourbon, it's kind of that fateful night after drinking whiskey with my friend Corey. I knew um, it was going to take me a really long time to get to my own whiskey. I hadn't even started the whole process of starting the business. So I sourced about 50 barrels of bourbon that I had go into barrel right then so that oh, wow. by the time we opened, it would be three or four years old. And then we also sourced some 12 year too. So it's a blend of now four and 12 year old bourbon and it's a high rye mash rye is my favorite so i wanted there to be a pretty heavy presence of rye in the bourbon mm-hmm. and then um the the owners of elk cove winery are actually investors and friends of ours so it's a nice and it's kind of a nice uh, local local twist on our bourbon too to finish it in the in the elk cove and meanwhile we're putting down rye um that we won't you know release for at least a couple more years. Are you guys going to do a single malt? I think we will someday. We haven't put any down yet, but I know I, I'm really interested in it. It's kind of paying homage to Molly's time in Scotland, and I'm sure she's excited about it as well. That's wonderful. It's something to look forward to. Um, distribution. I was going to interject with this uh, earlier when we were talking about the building out, the, the distillery building out uh, Freeland Spirits, but distribution is a bear. Because, you know, for a new distillery, you've, you've got to finagle your way in 50 plus markets. What have been your distribution challenges and what is your current distribution? Yeah, we're certainly not trying to get into all 50 states. We're trying to take a kind of more slow approach and just go focus on the states we're in and go deep into those states. So we're really mm-hmm. focused on the West Coast. and We're doing about 95 percent of our business just okay. here in Oregon and California and Washington. Um, we actually went into California a lot earlier than we planned on, but we found a good distribution partner. Mm-hmm. So that's worked well. And then Washington, you know, is just so close. It made sense to, to go in there too. So that's, that's worked great. And we had actually had planned on adding more States early this year, but with coronavirus, it's just, you know, we kind of changed plans a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a bit. How, how has that affected? How has that affected your business? I would say we're, we're not even the same business we were three months ago. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's not all bad. It's, um, we, we unfortunately lost a lot of our team. We have a full, a full bar at our tasting room. I really think of our tasting room as kind of the soul of our business. You can come and you can look through the big windows into production at our beautiful still. You can go on tours and hear the story, which is really important to us. And, you know, super trained bartenders that can tell you anything about our production. And, um, so that was a big blow to have to close. But we really quickly um, changed business. I felt like we started three new businesses in about six weeks. Um, oh, geez. Molly and her um, teammate, Lee, quickly started making hand sanitizer. Um, 
and that's been, you know, we've, we partnered with the whole city of Portland with the firefighters and in Providence hospital and, um, the, the transportation system of Portland and providing all of them hand sanitizer. So that was really just Molly and Lee working around the clock to pump that out. And then we started a curbside pickup program. We called it the booze through. And we've been doing a lot of cocktail (laughs) kits and that's, that's gone really well. And now the OLCC, which is the state here, we're state controlled system here in Oregon. They're allowing home Mm -hmm. delivery. So we've started that too. So it's kind of like each day is, is different, but it's great. We've got a small but exceptional team that's gotten really good at pivoting and responding to all the changes. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're, we're doing yeah. as well as we can. There was a question earlier on in the, in, in, in the interview about the uh, gender makeup of mm-hmm. staff. Right. Cur- um, currently, we, we actually we all we are women. We aren't opposed okay. to they aren't opposed to hiring men. They just can't quite keep up, it seems. So. No, they can't. Sorry, Philip. They can't keep up. All right. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> now, I, I was thinking earlier when, when uh, Molly had to take off for a second, it brought me back to my freshman year of college. I was actually a liquor clerk at the local grocery store, and I was driving around on a forklift. And everyone's like, wait, a girl on a forklift, and you're doing liquor? Like, aren't you supposed to be doing, like, the hair products? I'm like, mm. yeah, no, I'm <laughs> doing the liquor. And then all the, the liquor vendors would try to give me stuff, and they're like, wait, how old are you? I'm like 18. And I said, um, I have a T-shirt for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, got, I got some interesting things. I got a tennis racket, a T-shirt, uh, a glove. I got all kinds of name brand stuff. Um, and uh, but everyone's like, oh, I really wanted to give you some of our you know, vodka or some of our this. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, we'll all get fired. So don't, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> but yeah, but I, no, we I have, love driving. The we, do, we don't have anything against hiring men. We have had several men work here. To us, it's much more about diversity and, you know, just every industry benefits from diversity. And there's been very few women in leadership in this industry. So that's something that we really love to highlight but we'd love to not highlight it at some point we'd love for it to see to just for everything to just be much more equitable so finally cocktails not what what is your favorite cocktail but what is your what are your go-to's what is your go-to category are you stirred shaken bill you know highballs dark aromatics Mm, good question i i like the dark aromatics myself but like i i really like to say with freeland gin it's um Citrus that makes it shine. Uh, a a mm-hmm. gimlet is just beautiful because the lime just really mm-hmm. highlights a lot of the citrus that's already in the gin. Molly is actually currently working on a second gin, uh, a dry gin style that would be much more of a martini style gin. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. But yeah, I do. I like the kind of the dark and stormy style of of cocktails. Okay. A little, um, you know, like a Negroni. Or, that's my sure. my favorite all time cocktail. Oh. I could imagine that Geneva in a Martinez. Yes, yeah. indeed. We we do. We love that. What about you, Molly? What's your what's your cocktail? I'm more on the adventurous side. I, I don't really gravitate to any certain style. I like to try new things and find new flavors. Uh, I find a lot of joy in just trying, you know, having different experiences with flavors I've never had before. So is there anything that you guys would like to uh put out there on the on the show uh just that you can get your freeland anywhere now um a lot of our partners in california ship to most states so you can find all that on the website and if you're ever in portland hopefully we'll be back open someday you can visit and see our beautiful hell bitch still that's who we call 
<laughs> our, our lovely copper pot still named after uh, the horse and lonesome dove uh old western the one who the horse who couldn't be tamed so mm. that's funny that's funny that's really great good. well we want to thank you guys so much for being on the show today um it's been very interesting and i can't wait to continue to watch freeland grow and i'm definitely looking forward to all the whiskeys that yeah. are coming out mm-hmm. because i already do like um the gins that you have so well yeah. let's um, next time next time in portland and it's just so yes. cool that you were you know you were there the way before anybody else carries so yeah you- yeah, really? when when I when I found out it it all came out, I was like, oh my gosh, you did! It. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like that's awesome. I was like, I have to get her. <laughs> so, anyway, thank you again for oh. being on the show. <laughs> Thanks for reaching out. World of Wheezy is up next. Stay with us. Hey, Louise, it's great to have you on the show again today. We are going to talk about the Freeland Spirits Bourbon. It's a woman-owned distillery, so that's uh, near and dear to my heart. So what did you think about it? Oh, well, I was really, really in love with um, this bourbon and just kind of the story behind it. I like that this woman has uh, started a distillery and she's named it in honor of her grandmother. I mean, I go by Louise. It's actually my middle name, but I go by it because my grandmother was called Louise. So... You know, I totally understand paying homage to the old grandmas out there. And being that it that her grandmother, and she is from Texas originally, I thought that I wanted to pair this bourbon with something that is that screams Texas. And so, therefore, I chose to pair it with some queso. Yeah, because who doesn't like warm, cheesy dip with some sort of spicy element? Um, And I definitely love the sweetness of a bourbon with a little bit of heat coming from somewhere. So, as well as, you know, there's so many good cheeses that come out of Oregon. I mean, you could spend, you know, you could spend a lifetime exploring all the different creameries in Oregon. There's so much great cheese. So I figured, you know, find some great sharp cheddar from a local creamery there, make your own pico de gallo, heat it all up, get yourself some delicious tortilla chips or some warmed up tortillas, scoop that up and have a sip of your bourbon with it. Delicious. That sounds good. That sounds very good. Yeah. I've never thought about having queso with my bourbon, actually. So that's that's going to be interesting. Well, you know, I think that sometimes when it comes to pairings, people want to stick with things that are very common and classic, you know, like, oh, well, bourbon's only supposed to go with certain Southern foods. And I agree with that sometimes, but being that she's making this in Oregon and it's finished in these Pinot barrels, you know, I was thinking, well, it you can play around with this pairing a little bit and I just liked involving all the different parts of her life in it from Texas to Portland and then you know you're making something that's native to Kentucky so that's great um, that's awesome yeah I think that'll be cool all right well thank you so much for your input um, on this week's bourbon and we will talk to you next week sounds great I'll talk to you then Please visit our website to see our show notes on today's podcast at spiritsofwhiskey.com. 
That's Frisky with an E. We'll include links and supporting documents from today's Whiskey Chronicles, as well as tasting notes and recommendations from today's World of Wheezy. As always, you can see our upcoming topics and guest roster and links to past shows. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Salon. Salon Spirits of Whiskey is a production of First Real Entertainment and the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available on Anchor, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts can be heard.